to another episode of Comic Talk, the podcast. My name is Jesse Rivera, and I am your host for Comic Talk, the podcast, like I always am, but there will be a time very soon where I will not be the only host. Liz Randall, Liz Randall is coming back to host with me, co-host with me, and uh, she's our, we've already recorded a couple of episodes, and those will be dropping. I'm going to drop one of them next week, and then another one a week from then, I think. One for sure next week, um, but then she will hopefully always be with me, um, but I do have a couple of episodes here and there without her, and uh, I'm really looking forward to her being a, a co-host, because she's really funny and really helps me a lot during the recording of it. But enough about Liz, you will hear plenty from her eventually, believe me. Now, on this episode of Comic Talk, I have my very, very good friend, Mr. Damien Harmony. His comedy is very punny. Punny with a P. You will get what I'm talking about once you listen to him. And his comedy is a little bit different, kind of dark maybe sometimes. A uh, little uh, uh, maybe tongue-in-cheek type of humor. So uh, because his comedy is so unique, he gave me permission to play one of his jokes before we start the interview. So listen closely to a joke from Mr. Damien Harmony. And then listen to him explain why he has these opinions and where these opinions are coming from. And I think you will find that he is a very unique, very funny, very kind man. And I really like talking to him. So without further ado, here is a joke from Mr. Damien Harmony, followed by my sit down and chat with Mr. Damien Harmony. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And I really do appreciate you. Thanks. Take care. Peace. Bye. Your dog. I can't tell if he's autistic now. That's <laughs> well, because he's a pup, so you can't fucking tell. Pups, like their eyes go different directions. Like they're like the sea suit of dogs. Like pups are awesome. I love pups. They they're awesome, but they're dumber than shit. Like that's why I got him because he's stupid. Like I can train a stupid dog. I don't want to train a dog that's trying to outsmart me. Like I don't want a Jack Russell. Fuck them. They're like they're like the racists of dogs. They are. Like, they, seriously, they don't like other terriers. So, like, oh. fuck that. My mom raises Jack Russells. I understand what I'm talking about. Pugs, like, will run in this little herd and just snort and giggle and laugh, and there's no leader. It's awesome. So, like, it's... I went different direction than I expected with the pugs. I don't, I don't, but, yeah, I don't, like, I also, I vaccinated my children. Um, my son's autistic. Thank you. My son's autistic, so I figured, what did I have to lose? <laughs> Besides his fucking life. So, I have a friend who's an anti-vaxxer. Uh, she spells it with two X's. I don't know why. Uh, but, you know, she, she's, like, giving me shit for vaccinating my son. I said, oh, damage is done, honey. But, um... And I said, tell you what, though, don't bring your unvaccinated child around my autistic child, because clearly I value his life more than you two. So... <laughs> Damn, I really should have talked more before I came over. Just get all that shit cleared out. Yeah, you think yeah. so? Yeah, a little bit. Well, we had a little bit of a conversation. Yeah, yeah. But you're like literally Dude, the first human I've talked to. Isn't that weird when you it's, do that? Yeah. I I find myself doing that on um on the weekends mm-hmm. where I'll uh, 
I'll just sit and do nothing all day. And then I mm-hmm. realize, shoot, I haven't like spoken to a human mm-hmm. all day. Well, I talk all day at work. And then I, I like, <laughs> I used to joke. I'm like, I obviously like talking to people. Like I start by talking English to people. And then right. I, you know, then I decided, well, there wasn't enough. I died. No, I think that's just the headphones. There wasn't enough. That? Uh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there wasn't enough English for me to talk to people. So then I learned another language and started talking that to people. And then I went, uh, there's not enough of that to talk to people. So then I got, went and found a microphone at night and started talking to people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so clearly talking is not a problem for me. But you, there are some days where I'm just like, it's really nice that it's 3 o'clock and the first person I talked to was my kids. You've been doing comedy for a while. Yeah. I was looking on YouTube this uh-huh. morning for some videos of yours. <laughs> I don't they, update much. They go, But they go way back. Yeah, they do. They do. Six years now, I think. Six years? I want to say, yeah, six years. Because it was 2013. No. Was it October 2013? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's six and some change, obviously, because we're did, not there yet. But. It seems like like uh, the the folklore about you is that you went pretty hard for a while. Uh-huh. And then you kind of disappeared for a while. Yeah. And then you're kind of back-ish. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I basically, uh, I went from being a married dad with a very understanding wife. Okay. To being a divorced dad. Uh, with uh, half my time restricted, just because like that's when I got my kids. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get a sitter for the time where I've got my kids. Right. So the downside is that's like most of the open mic nights are yep. wiped away, um, and I wasn't quite at the level where I could like just you know get a guest set on you know the the paying nights or I was regularly getting paying gigs. Okay. So that's that's kind of why I I fairly well disappeared, and then I started doing capital punishment, and it's one of those things like. My mom used to live right next door to the Smithsonian. Okay. And she never went because you can always go. Right. Yeah. And so because I do capital punishment, my comedy juices are always heading into that. So I don't think, you know, it's kind of, I don't think about, oh, I need to get back out there and do open, open mics and stand up because I'm satisfying that comedy bug just enough. Yes. And so, and you know, then I've got time with my kids or I'm out there trying to date or you know, all kinds of other stuff, other side projects that I'm working on. So, uh, yeah, it ended up, I fell away for quite a while. And now I'm trying to climb back in because I really, I miss, I miss doing more than just puns. It, it so. seems, it seems like, like you are also a classic example of like, they, they tell people don't ever burn bridges, mm-hmm. you know, and like, not that you burn bridges, but that you were always like everyone that like, when you first started coming back around, uh-huh. Everyone like welcomed you in open art. Like, oh, Damien's here. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and I'd be like, who is this guy? Like, I've never <laughs> seen him. Well, I never heard of him. Right. You know? Yeah. No, and, I, I'm. I'm. And everyone was always excited that you were there. Yeah. It. It. I don't know. I. I made a decision after my first year of. You know, the first year in comedy, you you do all the hack shit that you can just because you're trying to find your stage presence. Right. But I kind of already had a bit of a stage presence because it's not like I hadn't done theater. It's not like I wasn't teaching all the time. So I knew how to be in front of people. So I dive deep into like, okay, here's what's funny. What sets me apart? I'm just another white guy, right? So like what sets me apart? And at first it was, well, I'm in the middle class and most comics aren't. I'm also, you know, 30s and 40s. So I've got most of my life set up. Most comics don't. Right. So unfortunately that came across as condescending. And it's the the last thing I want to be, but in many ways, it's one of the first things that people see about me. So the comics who are already there are like, who the fuck is this guy? Uh-huh. Um, and the comics who came up with me also kind of like, you know, can't relate. And right. <clears throat> I wasn't trying to come down, come down doesn't quite sound right, but I'm not trying to come to their level on where they're at at life because that didn't feel authentic either. 
Yeah. And I was friends with comics who are already well-established because we're closer to the same age and have the same life experiences. It's just that they're way further ahead in comedy. Yeah. And so I was in this like real weird limbo spot. So I wasn't particularly well-liked or well-thought of, but it was like, well, he's trying to be a good guy. You know, like that was kind of the vibe that I got from folks. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I just tried real hard to, to not try to give all the advice in the world. Because as a teacher, man, like that just comes natural to you. You know, you just want to give advice you to people. You can't help but like right. want to nurture and care. Because yeah. Like, and that comes across condescending as shit when you're new on the scene. When you're talking to young comics. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, it's, it's you know, there's there's a mental problem with most of us. It's ridiculous. If you break down what we do at night, it's utterly ridiculous that anybody would choose to do that in a healthy setting. So, you know, that you just stack all that shit up. So I went away for a while. Didn't even mean to go away for a while, but I had to, you know, take care of, you know, things and and what have you. And I started doing capital punishment. And uh, anyway, so in the in the first year of comedy, I remember I was at the comedy spot and I had just written a really good blowjob joke. Uh-huh. <clears throat> it, was, it was like, oh, this is good. I'm going to do this. Right. And I got there. And that night there were five white dudes aged 19 to 22, each with their own take on blowjobs. Uh-huh. And I remember I just crumpled up the paper. I said, I'm not going to be a part of that. Like, I, I'm never doing one of those jokes again. And that was the first conscious choice that I made at what kind of comedy I don't want. And then it was like, well, I shouldn't define things by a negative. I should figure out what I do want to do. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And so when, I, when my ex-wife left, a lot of people were like, oh, dude, you're going to get hella material out of this. And I realized, I was like, I don't want to do any jokes about my ex-wife. And people said, why? I said, well, because she doesn't have a mic or a venue to defend herself with. So <laughs> that just doesn't seem right. And then I That'd just... That'd be like punching down. Right. You know, yeah. in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that as like she's lesser than me in any way. Just like she, it's not fair to attack a person that didn't really have a say in whether or not I was going to attack. So I just... I was like... It was a very conscious choice I made. So I did a, about a month and a half of divorce material, but it was about me. It was very introspective. You know, I did about, you know, here's the tattoo I'm going to get, you know, and stuff like that. <clears throat> But uh, then I, I basically I was like, well, I'm, I've got that out of my system. Besides, now that I'm single, who's going to want to chuckle fuck a guy who's bitching about his ex-wife? So <laughs> there were practical aspects. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I, uh, I, I decided, I was like, I, you know, I don't really need to do jokes where I make fun of anybody ever. That's true. And so I just don't. And, and so I started like really. And then I'm like, well, then, OK, what sets me apart from, again, all the other white dudes with beards, like mediocre white dudes with beards is kind of a thing. So how do I set myself apart from that? And I was like, well, what's the thing that I have that no one else has? It's like, oh, I speak a dead language. I know a lot about history um, and I have a love of punning. And so that all just kind of started swirling. And I think because of those things, those were kind of like X factors in new comics seeing me and never seeing me have a harsh word against anyone unless I'd seen them behave really shittily toward other people. At which point, I didn't even have a harsh word. It's just like, oh, I'm just not going to work with that person. Like, yeah, I don't so, like how they are. It's so easy to just not, not go down that road. Yeah, yeah. And, and people kind of know me for you know taking that kind of a stand. I do take sides on things uh-huh. um, because it's like, oh, and not in petty squabbles or anything like that. Not that people's squabbles are petty necessarily, but... But in, you know, two people are having a beef with each other, eh, no big deal. But if someone has got a history of treating people badly... I don't need to attach my name to that, yes. you know, and I, and I, I think those few X factors have made it. And also the, the group of comics that were coming up when I was coming back into the scene were some of the nicest damn people. 
Mm-hmm. And I think those two things kind of conflated to everybody thinks of me as being the person that I want to be instead of the person that I used to be. And I think that's that's what you're kind of seeing there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was like the, everybody was welcoming, welcoming you back. Everybody was excited to see you. Right. Um, you've mentioned uh, puns. Do you want to describe what a what a pun is and then, sure. then then let that lead into what capital punishment is because sure. capital punishment has a huge following it really has grown it's yeah, insane it's pretty awesome it's, <laughs> i've got a fun story about that with my daughter too but yeah. so yeah here's what puns are and then i'm gonna tell you my daughter's story um so a pun is uh, if you take a word and it has meanings in multiple arenas that you use the meaning of that word in one arena to get you to another arena um, so for instance, um, my, my favorite example is, uh, I like to go fishing with my friend, Annette. She catches a lot of fish. So the name Annette is a woman's name, but it's also a thing that you use to catch a lot of fish. Right. And therefore, boom, boom, you know, and it takes on double meaning and people just roll their damn eyes. Um, and Ed Mina said it beautifully. And I've used this to convince my daughter that puns are okay. He said, a pun is a gift that you give yourself if you're smart. It means that you understand the nuances of a language enough to use a word in two different ways and it can hold the same space uh, in, in, in both sentences. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's that's fantastic. And I think like I like to say that I don't like puns. Everybody doesn't I, like puns. But I think like deep down inside what I'm really saying is I'm not clever enough <laughs> to think of a good pun. Like I really wish I could write a pun. Like when, right? when I see like like. Oh, sometimes like you and Nicole, I, you or like Nicole Eichenberg mm-hmm. will just like go off on like puns and I'm mm-hmm. like, or Robert Barry, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, how do they? How does their brain work that way? Right. It's, it's just hilarious. Well, it's, and Robert puns in a very different way than I pun. <clears throat> I pun very much more in a. I'm a counter puncher. There's another pun right there. Um, I'm a counter puncher, <laughs> whereas so I got to hit get hit before I can actually come back. Uh-huh. Robert Barry writes and crafts really well done puns. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, I'll get a construction in my head and I will milk it, and you'll see it on Facebook for like the next hour or so. Um, but but it's rare that I write puns. I much more just generate them as I go, and you know both. It's just like the difference between you know jazz and classical. Like it's kind of what flavor do you prefer, and both are really valid forms of art. You know, okay. but but yeah, I think everybody deep down does like puns. They don't like that they didn't get there first or that they didn't see it coming. And I think it's that last part of they didn't see it coming um, that really upsets people. Uh-huh. Um, but then they also and here's here's the part I think that it'll tie back to my daughter. It upsets them. And at the same time. They think it's funny. And so they're mad that they think it's funny. Because they, so my daughter used to say, you're not getting me. You're not going to catch me on this one. And she was five or six at the time. She's seven and a half now. And uh, I told her finally, I told her what Ed said. I said, no, no, I'm not trying to get you. I'm trying to share it with you because I know that you are clever enough to get these things and you and I can play with words this way. You know, this is what we, this is what we do. You know, Uh your brother and I cuddle. (laughs) Your brother (laughs) and I will talk about trains or Star Wars or, or Marvel, but you and I play with words. Right. It's just different things, you know. And, and when I explained it to her that way, she was much more cool about it um, to the point where one night, because I make a dish I call Spanish rice. It's not actually Spanish rice, but it was given, the recipe was given to my mom by a Korean woman in the 50s. Um, and so we call it Spanish rice. And so I started asking her, I said, hey, what if we put like jack cheese and olives and rice and tomato sauce and meat on frozen water? 
And she said, oh, that'd be Spanish ice. And I was like, right. And then we just, for all of dinner, we were doing, she's like, what if we put that on my kindergarten teacher? I'm like, oh, Spanish Miss Price. You know? <clears throat> and we just kept doing on and on and on. So she was on board. And now she's kind of come full circle again. She doesn't like them again. But she does. She does that like scowl smile. Yeah. That I love. My favorite thing when I get a pun going is I get groan, laugh, applaud, laugh, groan. Yeah. Like that sign wave. That's exactly me watching one of your sets. (laughs) (laughs) And that means I'm doing it right. Me watching your set. And I love taking up the entire five minutes of my five five minutes at an open mic to deliver one pun at the end. I know. (laughs) Yeah. But so my daughter says to me the other day, she says, you know, you're not funny. I said, that's not true because people pay money to see me do this. She's like, to do what? I said, to do puns. People pay money for this. She's like, no, they don't. I said, yeah, they do. That's what paid for Christmas this year. Uh She said, what? I said, yeah, our entire Christmas budget was built on me doing puns. And that's actually true. I would take all the money I earned and just stuff it somewhere. Right. Um, And I ended up, you know, it was a nice Christmas. It was a good Christmas this year. Um, and I told her that and she said, I said, every gift that you got was bought with those jokes that you pretend to hate. That's great. And she said, she looks at me and she says, next year I could do without the presents. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, God damn child. She's well, seven. Rough crowd. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, you were so my kid. Um, but yeah, so that's what a pun is. I, I love, I love puns because to me they're easy, but they're also, it's kind of like, okay, have you ever played Scrabble? Yeah. I hate Scrabble. Because in Scrabble, you could play the word jet and get like eight points because you just put it on one square, right? Whereas I can put like three letters between five words and make nine words and I've only gotten eight points as well. And I'm like, oh, fuck this. Because to me, that's a lot more clever is I had to do something that worked up and down, left and right, all the different ways. And I just literally dropped the perfect piece in and it works, right? That is frustrating. Yeah. And uh, and that's why I don't like Scrabble. That's why I like Upwards, because Upwards, you get to count it. It's nice. Mm. Um, but And you're literally building on what other people have done, which is fun for me. Um, and so I like a good pun because uh, it allows me to do what Scrabble doesn't. Um, and it's I just drop that perfect piece in at the end, and the whole thing sings for a minute, and people just want to knock it the hell down. It's, it's beautiful, yeah. So now talk about Capital Punishment. Sure. And Capital Punishment has mm-hmm. was... Uh, this has like has a residency at Luna's, mm-hmm. and a while back you guys were at the Punchline, mm-hmm. and there's something big coming up for uh, Capital Punishment soon. Yeah, we're at Sketchfest um, next. When does this air? The I will air this in the next couple of weeks. Oh, okay. So we're at Sketchfest. Um, what is what we call next Wednesday for us? will be the past for you. We're at Sketchfest on the 22nd of January. Oh, yeah. You guys did great. Yeah. Sold out again. Second year in a row. Uh Sold out at Sketchfest. We're also going to be at Luna's on the 7th. Okay. Um, and uh, on on February seventh and on March sixth, we we've I I'm now, (laughs) I'm now booking out um capital punishment about four or five months in advance. That's great. Yeah, like it's it has finally grown beyond myself and my partner Daniel. So Daniel and I were sitting there at a bar one one night. I don't go to bars. Um, but he and, his, he and his friends invited me out and newly single. I'm like, sure, I got nothing else to do. I'm going to go home to a sad house. Yeah. So we're sitting there at a bar and uh, we start saying something about clothing. And I throw out a pun and he throws out a pun and then I throw out a pun and then he throws out a pun and then I throw out a pun and back and forth and back and forth. And what I found through this was not only was it 25 minutes of us doing clothing puns, 
everyone at the table is just sitting their mouth open going, oh my God, <laughs> like partly pleading for us to stop, but also <laughs> pleading for us to continue. Like how far can this go? And also please stop. That that is that is exactly yeah. what listening to a, a a punny comic is. Yeah, it's like oh, it's it's like stop, no go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's you're on your fourteenth orgasm. You're getting tired. <laughs> yeah, but it feels so good. You right. know. Um. But uh. And and we just went for twenty five minutes, and then I, you know, and and what I found was he doesn't like to lose, and I just like to let a game continue. Well, if you let you get That's that combination, yeah. it'll just go out infinitum. You know, mm-hmm. like, and and I have no problem losing. Um, but I want to go out with a bang or I want to set you up for something really, really good. If I lose, I want to lose big. You right. know? And then after that, we did 20 more minutes at that table uh, about um, candy. Okay. So just candy puns the whole way, you know. At which point, one of the gals there, he says it was Liz. I say it was Kelsey. Uh, she says, why, why is this not a show? And I turned to him. I said, why is this not a show? And that was like April, May of 2016 okay and then by july of 2016 we had our first show and uh it was we used to be at the uli theater um and it used to be so much different than it is now like there was so much more about it being a game so capital punishment is essentially a pun tournament like think uh eight mile meets dad jokes right so (laughs) we spin a wheel mark berg is the uh is the host and he dresses up like an old wwe referee you know with like the bow tie and the long shirt okay um and uh, and we spin a wheel and it comes up on a topic and you and another comic have to go at it uh, to uh, go back and forth battling about puns about that topic. So say that it comes up about, I don't know, what's something that you really like, what you're really into? Movies. Movies. Great. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it comes up on movies. I'll be like, oh, and I'm looking around, by the way, in your living room and I'm seeing a bunch of movie posters. So it's going to be you know real easy for me to pick up. But, um, you know, I'll say something like, okay, do you think you're going to do well or are you just another one of the warriors that I'll have to take on? And then you'd fire back with, oh, I'm going to hit you so hard you're going to be lost worse than those boys, you know? And then boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, and we just bounce back and forth on movies, right? Wow. And then three strikes and you're out. So whoever gets three strikes, they're out, and they Mm -hmm. lose that round, right? So in the beginning, it was much more focused on it being a fair game and all that. And then I realized after about two shows that, like... There's no reason this can't be a good show and just look like a tournament. And I'm a huge fan of wrestling. Okay. And so, and Daniel also likes wrestling and he knows good shows. So we figured out like, oh, if we give people the topics in advance, it'll, it'll work better. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so now we give people about two week plan out time. The conceit is that it looks like a tournament that's going on. Nothing is predetermined per se, but there's a lot more, um, preparation but at least you're going into it armed now right exactly exactly instead of like uh uh, Uh uh-huh and that was hard to get you know i mean comics are always wanting to be on a show but it was hard to get comics because comics uh, you know it's it's this weird brittle group usually where like they've written all their material they have full control over what they're doing on stage and yet it's wholly existential in that they're all alone with that material and they'll either make or break on it but then you tell them oh you don't get to bring any notes you have to just think of shit on the fly. And we know you're funny in this realm, but we want you to try in this realm. And suddenly, like, you see a lot more psychological self-preservation going on. You see a lot more like, no, I'm, I'm actually really funny about things normally, guys. Can, can I just do a set? You know, it's like, no, 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 we're here to do this. Like, this is, this is what you're getting paid for. I, I kind of like the whole, because, mm-hmm. like, a lot of the stab shows mm-hmm. are like, I, I like to joke about the, 
stabbed. Like they their their shows give you homework. Uh huh. And this is another yeah. show where like it gives you homework. Yeah. But I kind of like preparing for a show where I don't have to worry about my set. Yeah. And and I just get to it's or especially doing a podcast. Like I'd love sure. being able to like being a podcast guest or, or being able to um just like uh the uh, the stab podcast where you just have like a couple of riffs and then right. you go off that I, right. I really enjoy those types of shows oh yeah They're and a lot and, of fun. and it's just to me it's 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 another thing that i do and i remember i was talking to keith about it like about three three months in and he's like i don't know why your show works i'm like me either but it does you know and and actually daniel said that the night of he we're there behind the, like two minutes from going out uh-huh. He said, this is not going to work. I mean, it's like that scene from Star Wars. You know, this is not going to work. It's going to work fine. He says, no, how's, how's this going to work? I'm like, oh, we'll go out there. We'll do body parts. Um, and he says, uh, oh, okay, okay, like like what? I'm like, I'll ask you if you can stomach this issue. And you'll say, I can shoulder this burden, and we'll be off to the races. It'll be fine. He's like, okay. I said, we got this. This is going to work. And I walk away. And he says to himself, this is not going to work. <laughs> so most of the people are sitting there going, we don't know why it works. We don't know why people keep coming back. And we have gone from, by the way, we've always paid comics, always, forever, yes. like always. We've gone from seven people audiences to now it's like four or five deep at Luna's, like mm-hmm. standing room only, which I mean, it's a small venue, but it's a wonderful venue and we love to bring business to art. I love Luna's. Oh, it's fantastic. Yes. Um, and we've also, we've gone elsewhere and sold out. We went to the Throckmorton. We did really well at the Throckmorton. Wow. We, we went to Benicia. We sold out Chelsea's room there. Uh-huh. Um, we went to, uh, like I said, we've been to uh, Sketchfest twice as of the time that this releases and sold out both of those. We, we damn near sold out Punch. Um, we've done really well everywhere we've gone. Yeah, it and definitely has a cult following. It does, and it's yes. grown beyond me or Daniel. Like, I realized when he, he went to England last year for a good chunk, so I had substitutes come in. Um, and it's his and my chemistry is amazing on that show which I think is one of the reasons that it's worked so well. But mm-hmm. having someone else there with me, you know, it forced me to grow in different ways, but also showed me that, like, neither he nor I are the draw anymore. The show has grown grown beyond both of us. Yeah. Which is really neat. Yeah. Which is really cool. And it, I, I didn't realize that that's what I wanted, but that's absolutely what I wanted. And I, and I, th- I think about that sometimes, like, with telenovela, is, like, I want mm-hmm. telenovela to exist once I'm done with, Right. There's going to be a day that I walk away from it. Yeah. You know, but I want it to be something that that like how you said it's it's Mm -hmm. its own thing. Like. Yeah. Like. And so. Yeah. Good. Good job to to all you guys on that. It's it's, it's like. So it's like it's it's you. um, Who who else involved? So myself and Daniel Humbarger are the creators and and stars. Uh Right. So the the tournament is we come out and we show you how it's supposed to be done. Then there's a, a comic. Uh, and either an improver or uh, I call them civilians. Daniel calls them special guests. Um, uh, or, or sometimes two comics. We used to do three comics and then one one special guest. And now we've we've fiddled with the formula and we just kind of like look for people who do good puns now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've we've gotten a lot less married to certain structures. Anyway, they come out and now they do best two out of three uh, spins. Um, and then whoever wins that moves on to go against the next person who does best two out of three spins. And then he and I come back out and we do a crowd work session where oh, the crowd wow. just shouts stuff out to us. Um, and that's a lot of fun because we don't know what we're getting that either. That must be the fun, like the, 
that's what people go for. Yeah. I mean, people go I for bet. the thing, but I bet the, yeah. the end is probably. Yeah, because then they're like, oh, my God, they're going off on childbirth. Yeah. Like, that happened once, and people were just stunned that I, I kept going and going and going. And I was like, well, you know, I've got two kids. I've, I've seen this. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so we'll do, you know, we'll do that. And then we give the crowd an assignment. We tell them, okay, for the next five minutes, we've got an intermission. Because we just like to give people a break, and then then we get into the championship rounds, right? So you get to go potty, get to go eat more, but also come up with a pun where it's you know what, what did we do last time? Serial killers and desserts, mm. or presidents and alcoholic drinks, uh-huh. or you know stuff like that. And whoever gets the one that Mark judges to be the best gets a free pin because we sell pins. Okay. Um. And then, uh, and that just gets people in more. Now people are wearing the pins out and stuff like that. Like, look what I earned, you know, and yes. stuff like that. It's rad. And then we come back and it's championship round. So it's best two out of three between the two people who made it. And then whoever wins that stays on stage and Daniel and I come out and it's totally unfair and stacked in our favor. And it's, uh, it's no longer best two out of three. The audience chooses the topic. Um, Daniel and I get six strikes. This person gets three and they have to beat us by knockout. Um, and only five people in the history of the show have done it. So it's myself and Daniel. Uh, Mark Berg is the, the the referee, and Emily Gilstrap, the first person who ever beat us, is also our like production manager. Okay. So like we we absorbed her, you know, like uh-huh. oh your magic is greater, come be part of us, you know. Yeah. So like, uh, my enemies just joined together. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh she's phenomenal, and like there's so many things that have made this show better that she gets. Like, she's not seen at all, except for she's the door person, right? So people just know her as the door, but she does so much of the behind-the-scenes work um, for us and, and keeps all us boys in line. Um, but uh, but she's really, like, in the beginning, we kept track of how much money the show was making from an envelope that I would write down costs on. And, uh-huh. I, and I floated it because I was still barely clinging to the middle class. And I invested in the show. And so I was like crossing out, okay, well, pay me back for this thing this time. But then we got to pay the comics and all that. And after about four months or six months of her managing us, we were making money every show. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've always, like I said, we've always paid comics. And we've always made money on the show since she's been a part of it. So big hat off to Emily Gilstrap on that um I, I'm, I'm big on producing a show that uh-huh. always pays the comics uh-huh like we've we've produced uh two or three telenovela variety shows now and we've mm-hmm. we've always paid the comics and, it's such a good feeling it is it is it's like you're exporting goodwill yeah like, you know because people comics know that you're going to take care of them and you're going to honor their time um and now it's become a thing that comics know that it's some some level of exposure Mm-hmm. You know, and, and some comics like it and some comics don't. But now people are asking us if they can be on it, which yeah. is cool, Isn't which is great. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why it's booked six or seven. You know, where I've booked out through May uh-huh. right now and it's not even February. Does it get hard, though? Like when you book somebody and like, oh, uh-huh. I'm booking you for three months from now. Don't forget. Right. And then it comes about a month away and, and you're, they're like, oh, what day was that again? Like, <laughs> oh, whenever I hear what day was that again? Oh, I'm yeah. Like, oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> oh, my favorite is at three o'clock getting a, a message going. I'm so sorry, but I'm stuck in Fremont. Uh-huh. It's like you you were booked three months in advance. You couldn't. Really? Not be in Fremont today. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. or you couldn't have like told people in Fremont like, hey, here's what's up. Like, yeah. We were paying you for this, and so we've we've also got um you know like uh your girl uh Nicole she does sound for us oh yeah um Nicole. and so and what what's nice about that is that both Nicole and Emily are good at punning 
Uh-huh. So we've had times where either of them has had to step in at the last minute. But there's also a lot of people who are, you know, kind of in the on-deck circle anyway of like, hey, were you going to come to the show? Yeah. How would you like to be on it instead? Boom. And then I'll make sure that I put you on one where you can plan for, uh-huh. you know, later on down the road. You know, and again, it's that exporting of goodwill that makes it so people jump in in good faith. Yeah. So it's a fun show. Like it's it's been going three and a half years now. Really? Um, yeah. Like we're coming up. I mean, it's February. So, yeah, we're about four months from it being a, a four year old show. Yeah. When uh, when we when we decided on Luna's for the telenovela variety uh-huh. show or like that Luna's had us. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, one of the one of the things that we always th- that Emily and I always talk about is like, OK, we want Luna's, but we want we want to we want to reach capital punishment level at Luna's. Like that's that's a goal. Like, <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Like that's what, that's 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 the bar that, that we see of like, that's neat. Of course, like we want to we, we you know, we we put in a lot of work. Mm-hmm. We want good comics. We want good improv. But sure. Like, when we talk about like what kind of crowd that we hope we can draw, like, yeah, we want a capital punishment type crowd. Like that's that's our goal. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's. I'm honored. I'm touched. Um, <laughs> like I'm looking at like invisible disabilities who outgrew Luna's. Oh man, aren't they awesome? Yeah, but have you done? You've done that, right? I've done that. Uh, I I have gone to their mic once, and then I've done one of their shows. Okay. Yeah. Um, because you know I have a son who's on the spectrum. Right. And so, uh, and it's it's widely believed that I'm probably there too. Okay. Um, but you know, I just don't, it's kind of like, you know, my shoulder hurts, but I don't have time to go to the doctor either. Uh-huh. So, you know, I don't bother getting diagnosed. I just know that I've got all the cheat codes to what my son's going through. So, but yeah, I've done their show once. I'm happy to go back, but they, they, they've got two people, um, you know, producing it and making it like their, their thing. And they've really built their brand. Um, and it's fantastic. I don't think any of us on our squad have the time cause we're all working or schooling full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't mean that in any kind of pejorative sense. It's just like, we, we're all giving and squeezing out as much as we can as it is. Yeah. If I wasn't a teacher, I'd probably have more time. Yeah. They, they were also very inspirational to us as uh-huh. far as like how, like building a brand. Oh and, my God. So good. Yeah. So good. Well, she's an artist too. So yes. like they've got a little home field advantage there. Like, yeah. uh, you know, she's good at branding things. She's a phenomenal. Have you seen her art? Have you seen Alieda's art? There might be some Alieda art. Oh, okay. In here. I know there's Alieda art in my mom's house. Okay, cool. Yeah. That yeah. I've, she's that I've given, I've gifted to my brother and my mom. Oh, that's rad. Alieda art. Yeah. Yes. There's very little art in this world that I actually appreciate as more than just as historical impact. Uh-huh. Hers is like one of the, one of the styles. Yeah. Like, and I've told her flat out, your art is to me what music is to other people. She, uh, I bought my brother, uh, a painting of hers that she did with, uh, with coffee grounds. Or yeah. That, that she did with coffee. Oh that, yeah. That she realized that she was drinking coffee one day and it mm-hmm. stained the paper. And, and realized that's and, a medium. And eight hours later, mm-hmm. like she was like, Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Like I, I, I envy that part of her brain. Yeah. Uh, working that well like yeah, that's she's amazing amazing it really is yeah. i mean she's so yes um they're they're really good at branding um whereas you know i there's there's we have a lot of good overlap within our group but mm-hmm. um i'm not an artist i'm just not yeah so uh but yeah i would love to get to their level um but i don't know if i have the the drive or the time to be able to put into it <sighs> that's another thing right yeah it's like i'm i'm already revving at 140 over 100 yeah. you know so even like producing like the telenovela variety show at luna is like i really want to do it every other month as opposed mm-hmm. to every month oh yeah 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 because it's it takes a lot out of you it does yeah. it does so you but know it's it, so worth it it at is the end of the night when mm-hmm. when you're just sitting there in the cafe and mm-hmm. and it's it's done 
It's it's so worth it. Have you gotten to the point yet where because I've done this where like you cease to judge the success of the show primarily by the artistic capabilities, but more by the receipts. <laughs> like I feel bad about it. I feel like a little P.T. Barnum, like on his deathbed, that's what he said was what was today's receipts. Uh-huh. Um, and those were his his last words. Right. Wow. And I don't want to be like that. But I totally do look at the show as like, how much money do we make? I, I'm at the point right now with shows where uh, it's always a negative. OK. Like no matter like what, because uh, I'll spend money promoting or I'll right. spend money on posters or I'll spend right. money on something. So I'm at the point right now where like every telenovela show is, even though we were able to pay the, the last one, we were able to pay the comics, mm-hmm. the improvisers. We were everybody was able to get paid, but that's cool. That's it. Yeah. Right. So but yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how you grow it. Like that is I mean, it's literally an investment, mm-hmm. you know, and that is how you grow it. And eventually that money is going to start coming back in. Like I said, I paid for Christmas this year and last year. That's great. Just with capital punishment money. Yeah. That's that's good. You know, that's it's I mean, I'm, I live I try to live small means. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I also want my kids to have, you know, nice stuff at, you know, not just mom's house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but uh, but yeah, like I, I do, unfortunately, uh, judge it by how much were we able to pay people, um, you know, and, and what kind of Christmas it's going to be. Um, but then I also look at how did I perform and how did how did we work together? What can I do better? What can I do different? And I, I yeah. love that, that you're saying that you're letting the show like develop and grow because I think it's like so many times we get we get stuck into like this is the show we drew up. This is how we mm-hmm. and, and then you get you get directors or you get producers that like, no, that's not how I wrote it. Like we're going to do it this way. But right. Like, like you got to let it breathe and you got to let it expand and you got to let it sit. Right. Right. Because that's what the audience wants ultimately right you know the audience <laughs> right because they won't come if you're like well i kept it pure yeah and it's like well okay but they're not showing up so right, congratulations audience yeah on your artistic integrity but um now your show's dead yeah like i yeah i regularly um i'm i'm surprised at again how we started we started with the rounds being five minute rounds and that was it uh-huh. and then we were like well what if we gave people more stage time by having them do like a tag team exhibition okay and then, and then, and then, and then, and now we are, the wheel's a lot bigger, by the way, um, but now we are um, at the point, and we used to uh, pay Nick Larson to do uh, posters for us, mm. and they, he's so creative. I mean, he's so good at, at doing that kind of art, yeah. and he's a really good photographer, too, um, and we paid him to do uh, the posters, and, and then we streamlined that due to cost, uh, and we also streamlined... Um, you know, a lot of the show in that, okay, now we're not doing a tag team match because we were finding that we were exhausting the audience. Now we're doing an intermission where the audience gets to interact with each other, which then allows them to sit down and watch the show again. Um, we're doing best two out of three. Now there are three three-minute rounds instead of, you know, up to three minutes because what if you strike out? Then, okay, we move on, and that's saving time. And so we've tightened the show, and we're still looking for ways to tighten the show, Does too. Does the show go about an hour and a half? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if if <laughs> There are times where Daniel and I are both, like, really having a good time, uh, and so it ends up going an hour and 40 Okay. Um, or there's times where it's like, okay, we want to end on something big and the big thing just ain't coming yet, ain't coming yet, ain't coming yet. And so it just takes a little longer. Um, and then finally it comes and we're like, all right, cut it. Um, you know, and so there's, and we used to not do that. We used to have like, we'd stick to these rules and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, okay, that's a good game, but there's no real prizes. Um, and that's not necessarily a good show. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like the difference between MMA and wrestling. You get a much better match in MMA, but it might be boring as shit for 25 minutes. Yeah. Whereas in wrestling, if they're going 25 minutes, they're going to pack that thing in with all kinds of cool drama. Yes. You know, and like, stuff like uh, that. All highs and lows and peaks. Exactly. And story arcs. Oh, and, yeah. So, yes. you know, it's, it's I much prefer pro wrestling to MMA as far as the model that we're using. I got it. So, because people, you know, come to see a competition, you never know what you're going to get. Well, what if you came to see a show where you thought you never knew what you were going to get and you were entertained for exactly 75 minutes? Yes. You know, that's what I'm aiming. That's what we're aiming for is a 75 minute show. Let you know if we ever get there. But what's uh, what's your podcast about? You have a podcast, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, was, I was like, we're going to talk about the podcast, too. <laughs> we're having such a good time just talking about capital. Yeah. Punishment. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it makes me money, so I don't mind. Yeah. Um, capital. Uh, no, that's the show. Um, uh, a Geek History of Time. Uh-huh. Uh, and so what it is, is it's my buddy and uh, me and Ed Blaylock um, and my friend George, who's our producer. Um, and the, the two of us sit there um, and it's 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 actually I've seen this used in other podcasts and it might have been bled into me. But I was like, let's take this little twist. He and I are both huge nerds. Ed and I We're also both historians. Mm. We're also both dads. We're also both teachers. So we. um we take turns teaching each other about different geeky things that we do. So his and my nerdery don't overlap that much, nor do his and my history, but we both have a passing knowledge of the other guys. So it's not an expert teaching a layman like you'd see in the dollop. Right. Um, But it is, um, or like you'd see um, in like behind the bastards or other podcasts like that. Um, But it is a nerd teaching another nerd about something that he really likes, an aspect of his nerdery that he likes to the other guy. So, for instance, um, one of the episodes uh, was he taught me about Battletech um, and how it actually had more to do with Hiroshima um, and Yellow Peril. Um, this this idea in the 80s that the Japanese economy was going to overtake ours. There's a whole scary shit that happened historically in America, and that's why Battletech was created. Um, or he talks about, um, he likes a lot of big robot stuff. He talks about Warhammer 40,000 and how it was actually uh, a satire on Margaret Thatcher's conservative party in England in 1979. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the blankest look. Say it all? Yeah. Um, or I, I took a look at like uh, the Fantastic Four and how it was actually a grotesque representation of the nuclear family in the 1960s. Um, or I looked at, uh, we both looked at the X-Men and how it started off as a comic book about civil rights and it turned into a comic book about gay rights. Um, and like I did five episodes on how professional wrestling is, um, actually lost cause ideology of the civil war, how people like reimagined the civil war that the South seemed heroic and professional wrestling shows that. That's um, interesting. yeah, you know, and so we just, we, and it's, it's very much a buffet. Like we, we cover all kinds of nerderies. Like he did one, one of my favorite episodes still to this day is he did one on how J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote the Lord of the Rings, yep. wrote an allegory for World War One, but he didn't mean to. <laughs> so it was an accidental allegory. Wow. It was fascinating. Um, and then, you know, uh, one of my favorite ones that I did was, um, what was it? It was just, oh, I did uh, possession movies. And how possession movies go up anytime our trust in the government goes down. So stuff like that. And and he and I are both historians. So we do a lot of research about the time in which the things were created that we're talking about. And what are their antecedents and what are they reaching toward and stuff like that. And so that's, and then we each teach each other. 
uh-huh. um, those different things. So, you know, like we're recording, I think next Friday, we're recording one about um, Battlestar Galactica is really just the global war on terror. Um, you know, you talk about the old school. No, the, the new one, the, the new, new one. one. Okay. The old one was actually a uh, bonanza in space. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. With Green? <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was also very Mormony. Um, so it was like Mormon bonanza in space, you know? And, oh my gosh. And I do one about how Captain America is the new deal, but he's like the personification of the new deal. Um, and so we just, you know, a lot of stuff like that. Hey, so. your, uh, your wrestling fandom goes back yeah. to the eighties, nineties. 1880s. 1880s? Yeah, or? the Carnival Days. Oh, wow. Yeah, when Vermont soldiers in the 1860s taught um, all the other Union soldiers how to wrestle. And then that style becomes very popular, and then railroads come in. And so you get carnivals going through the Midwest, and how Farmer Brown becomes a major wrestler, and he teaches Frank Gotch, and how Frank Gotch takes on George Hackensmith in 1902. And then again in 1905 in Chicago, and then on and on and on. So, yeah, it goes back pretty far. Wow, I, I, I was I was hoping we would get to talk about like the Iron Sheik and oh Sergeant we could do that Slaughter oh and, hell yeah like and, yeah uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff oh god yeah love Paul Orndorff my the favorite my what probably the favorite wrestling match I ever watched well I don't mm-hmm. know there's several mm-hmm. but one of them was uh, Hulk Hogan against Mr. Wonderful in the steel cage yeah the, where they both come out at the same time yes and they have to restart it yeah yeah well I, that that feud between those two guys was so good because. Orndorff starts off being his enemy, and then he goes and becomes his ally, and then he goes back and becomes his enemy again, and that whole thing elevated Bobby Heenan, actually. Bobby the Brain. Bobby the Brain, because Bobby the Brain got in Orndorff's head about how Hogan has always held him back, which that same exact dynamic is exactly how they turned Andre to being a bad guy for WrestleMania three. So mm. they basically copied what they did with Paul Orndorff over there. So yeah, yeah, I can go did back. You, did yeah. you watch the Andre the Giant documentary? Uh-huh. What did you think? Um, so this is going to sound so, I don't know, like hipster, but, um, I kind of already knew all that stuff oh. from the different books that I'd read. Okay. I didn't know. See, yeah. I, I was so, a fan, but I never. Yeah. So for the lay person, I bet you it was amazing. It for was me, amazing. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh-huh. true. Oh cool. How they did that. Oh, that's a picture of the thing they were talking about. Yeah. It was still really fun. It was, you know, still really good. But, and uh, that's what I find with a lot of wrestling do you documentaries. Think he really drank that many beers? He did. He did. He did? Yeah. Um, do you remember, um, Princess Bride? Yes. Uh, so uh, the guy who plays Wesley, Carrie Elwes, uh-huh. went out drinking with Andre once. And Andre would order what he called the Americano. And it was essentially a pitcher filled with all the hard liquors and wine. Oh my and gosh. he would just pound it. He'd, he'd drink three of them per bar. Uh-huh. And he'd keep going. And he was just self-medicating because he was in so much pain wow. that he was self-medicating. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, the dude weighed 500 plus pounds. Yeah, he's a big guy. You know, so there's, there's a lot of places for it to go. You yeah. know, but uh, yeah, Carrie Elwes uh, can, can attest to how legendary Andre's drinking was. What was the better yeah. rivalry, uh, Jimmy Snuka and Roddy Piper or Jimmy Snuka and Don the Rock Morocco? I'm going to go Jimmy and Don the Rock because I think Piper relied too much on racist stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I think that that was a hotter rivalry, but I think as a better rivalry because Don was from, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Hawaii, and so was Jimmy. He was. Huh? Yeah. Well, Jimmy was from Fiji, what but about, they both started in Hawaii together. What about the Tito Santana, mm-hmm. Macho Man Randy Savage? God, I love that one. God, because that remember, elevated. Remember, he would call he would call him Chico Santana. Yeah, well, everybody called him Chico. Like and then he that was, was that was. Say, he's all here. Here comes Chico Santana with this flying burrito. flying burrito. Yeah, <laughs> god damn. 
Like that was Jesse Ventura that calling Jesse that. Ventura. Yeah. That was Jesse Ventura. Darn it! I said. But it was during the matches with Macho Man Savage. Okay, that's and, where I'm getting confused. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I got so, a little bit confused. So yeah, and and Tito was, uh, I think, the third or fourth Intercontinental Champion. Yes. Um, and so he he him dropping the belt to Macho really elevated Mach. Uh-huh. Um, and and Tito didn't suffer too much from losing the belt because he had other feuds going with other people. He actually was the reason that the Islanders turned bad guy. Um, I don't know if you remember the Islanders. They were um, Haku and Tama, um, the Tonga kid. Um, I remember the Tonga kid. Yeah. So he and Haku. Um, remember the Wild Samoans? Yeah, yeah. Afa and Sika. So, so the Wild Samoans mm-hmm. lost the belts to Tony Johnson and Rocky Atlas. Uh, Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson. And Rocky Johnson. Rest yeah, in yeah. peace, Rocky Johnson. Yep, just just passed. Just passed away. Yeah. I remember that being a crazy match, oh, too. Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson hated each other. Really? Straight up hated each other to the point where they lost the belts because of it. They just didn't want to work together anymore. Yeah, they didn't. Um, because like Tony Atlas would um would sleep in and Rocky Johnson's like, fuck it. I'm not I'm not giving him a wake up call. Uh-huh. I'm out. And he just would take off. Or I might be flipping around who did it. Right. But uh and like to the point where like they would sabotage each other, which hurt them as a team. Uh-huh. Um like they'd sabotage each other behind the scenes and then that hurt them as a team on the stage. Who was a better bad guy manager? Captain Lou Albano, Bobby the Brain Hayden. Or Jimmy the Mouth of the South. Uh, I'm gonna give it to Bobby because he could always get over anybody, um, and he would get them over and himself. Uh, Jimmy Hart, a close second though, because he worked harder than anyone to get his guys over. Mm. But Captain Lou, I I put him like he's not even in the same tier as those two guys. Okay. Captain Lou was cool because he did a lot of tag teams and it really helped elevate the tag team division. Uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, uh, you got Bobby Heenan, Jim Cornette, um, Paul Heyman, uh, Jimmy Hart, um, Gary Hart, uh, who's not as well known, um, Paul Ellering, uh, and I'd say J.J. Dillon actually as oh, well. Oh, you remember the Killer Bees? Oh yeah, B. Brian Blair and B. Jim, Jim Brunzel. Yeah. yeah. Jim Brunzel actually ended up running for office in Florida. Really? Yeah. So go figure. But uh, yeah, those guys were so uh, most of the guys that you're mentioning are people who came from other territories to the WWF. Um, yeah, because the WWF mm-hmm. united the territory. Right? Yeah, well, not destroyed united the territory, but like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he 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 bought out all the good talent. So Jim Brunzel um, was from AWA. Rick Martell was from AWA. Mm. Um, those guys were up in the Midwest. And uh, Jimmy Hart um, and Macho Man Savage were from the Memphis area. And so you've got a lot of just different people coming in, and he's just taking the best of the best um, and making it work. Uh, Tony Atlas was really big in Puerto Rico. Um, in fact, he was there the night that Bruiser Brody got stabbed. Wow. Um, he was the only one big enough to carry Bruiser Brody's body and put it on the gurney. Uh, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's wild. Um, there's actually a really cool comic book out now uh, about the history of wrestling. Really? Yeah, and it's, it's like as a guy who loves wrestling, like, again, it was a lot of like, okay, cool. Oh, that's how they drew that. Um, good narrative. I like what they did to include the English and the Lucha wrestlers and stuff like that. Okay. But for the layman, it's, it's really deep. It's really, really good. Wow. Yeah. You know who else is a big wrestling fan? Uh, Alyssa Cowan. Yeah. 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 To the point where I don't know what else to talk to her about when I see her. (laughs) So I'm, I'm just like kind of awkward and Uh, like, Hey, remember the attitude era? Like, yeah. Talk to her about Texas swing music. Really? Yeah. Wow, I know nothing about that. Yeah, I, so. I had a I have a book about uh-huh. Austin City Limits. Oh, okay. And she nerded out with that book Neat. so hard. Yeah, she oh, loved that's funny. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but she and I have talked wrestling. Actually, there's a large overlap of uh, 
comics and wrestling there fans. is isn't it yeah because the worlds are so ex- so extremely similar actually uh, you had johnny taylor on here a while ago yep he would um this summer he stayed with me uh, a lot and uh we would watch wrestling almost every night that he came over. Uh-huh. And I just, I'd show him stuff. I'd be like, check out this one, check out this one. He's like, oh, I want to see this one. It's like, okay, no problem. Yeah, I, the network, I love you know? watching those old wrestling oh, yeah. matches. All, oh, all yeah. that stuff from the, from the, it's really the, the mid to late 80s was yeah. when I was really, I remember when uh, the Iron Sheik took the title from uh, Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund. Yep. Yeah. And Bob would only drop it to the Sheik because the Sheik was a legit good wrestler. Oh, really? Yeah. Like he was, uh, Sheik represented, Iran in 52 in the Olympics and then he became a part of the American team Mm -hmm. um, because then you had the uh, yeah he he emigrated over um, and he he became a coach on the Olympic team in the 70s that Iron Sheik documentary was pretty good that was it was sad as shit like yes it was yeah yeah so did you pay attention to his Twitter his Twitter's hilarious oh god yeah it was a lot funnier about six years ago like Uh I remember do you remember the last time the Niners were in the Super Bowl um, no. So it was at the uh, the Superdome in, uh-huh. in Louisiana, and the power went out. Oh yeah! And the Iron Sheik's Twitter feed from when the power went out till when the power came on was some of the most golden shit I'd <laughs> ever read. It was just really? so absurd and so needlessly um, aggressive, uh-huh. um, and and just lashing out at darkness. Like and it was just insane. It was hilarious. It was it was like a D and D player getting a new sword. Uh-huh. And just saying, well, I, I attacked the gazebo, you know, like that kind of thing. I mean, he's just railing against everything. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's such a sad story with him, too, because he clearly lost a lot of, of his brain um, to cocaine and stuff. Man. So. Crazy. Yeah. We, we can't end on that sad story. No. You wanted, you you talked about wanting to also talk about autism. Yes. So we could we could end on that sad story. That's, <laughs> it's not that's, sad. No, it's no, not. I think the... the you know what I what uh, you mentioned recently, and, I, and it mm-hmm. must have been at Invisible Disabilities because I remember seeing you talk, hearing you talk about this, mm-hmm. and you said something that really resonated with me, where you said that in the olden times, mm-hmm. the people with autism would have just been given a different job in the community; mm-hmm. they wouldn't have been seen as. Uh, and it really made me think about like uh, of mice and men. Yep. And Lenny. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about like, a little bit about that? Like yeah, how sure. it's not it's and and one of the things is like they just learn differently. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's it's I mean, I'm left handed. Okay. Three generations ago that was corrected. Uh and I use finger quotes for corrected because usually it meant beating a person until they stopped. Uh-huh. You know, or just not letting them use the thing that came naturally to them. Right. So I'm literally wired differently than right handed people. I just am. Yeah. Um, my son is uh he has autism he's on the spectrum and and we don't say a person is autistic we say they have autism okay okay um so it's just a people first language kind of thing it's like you say uh people with disabilities you don't say disabled people um and so uh and i've actually gotten into some interesting grammatical talks with people about this um but uh so my my son has autism um he has an incredible memory okay there are so many societies in which he would have been seen as he grows up, you know, he would have been seen as a specialist, a priest, a this or a that. Um, in this society, unfortunately, it, it's it's a hindrance um, because the way his brain works is not as general. It's much, you know, he goes uh, stovepipes. He goes very deep on one topic. Um, disabilities are inherently culturally based. So it's only a disability if the culture that you're in 
doesn't allow for that difference. So being paraplegic or having spina bifida, uh, like uh, some of the comics on our scene, um, Dan Smith, for instance, wouldn't have worked if you were in the priest cast of the Aztec Empire because you have to go up all those goddamn steps. Mm-hmm. But if you are a person who uh, is is born without the use of their legs in a society or a culture that was boat faring, so say you were one of the Native American tribes in the Pacific Northwest, you probably would have been okay. You know, they would have found something for you to do. Oh, you get to throw uh, the net out to catch the fish because you got good arms. Mm-hmm. Those work, you know, and uh, or, you know, there's comics on the scene who have ADD. Uh they would have been fantastic shepherds, wow, you know, right. because they they notice little things off to the side. Oh, that's a wolf, you know, and otherwise they can stay focused and be perfectly fine, just not paying attention to the details of anything else. Uh-huh. Th- that's that's shepherding, and that's incredibly value. And most societies have tremendous value in that. I mean, hell, the Bible's filled with shepherd, you know, based metaphors and. You know, Mediterranean culture being what it is, you know, uh, Odysseus comes back and tells the swine herd, you're doing exactly what you need to be doing. Well, you know, you got the person who doesn't do well with people, does well with animals and stuff like that. So, like, it's all very much culturally specific. So we live in in a post-industrialized information tech kind of world where, uh, you know, fuck you, capitalism exists. Yeah, if you don't have exactly the brain that's set to rev at that level, then you're you're going to be left behind and seen as a burden, and, and then there's going to be legislation passed about you, unfortunately. Um, but if you live in a kinder society or in a society that, that finds a value in having different perspectives and different peoples, then you're going to have a very different uh, look at your disability. So, you know, it, it, they say that um, people who saw visions. I, I'm, I'm an atheist. Uh, I don't believe in spirits or ghosts or anything like that. I'm about as hardcore atheist as you can get, uh, without the aggression. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, it's like, Oh, you want to believe that? That's cool. Like, you know, my kids and I like to pretend to be gargoyles at night. So, you know, you do you. Um, but, uh, and I do mean that with the least flippancy as possible. See, this is where I get the reputation of being, uh, condescending to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, what do you call it? Like, People who saw visions, people who talked to angels or who were prophets, I think they were probably schizophrenic. Okay. Makes perfect sense to me. Yes. Like, I actually, here's a long project that I've been working on that I've never brought to stage, but um, I think that uh, the Jesus that's in the Bible is actually a person with autism. Because if you look at the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, and I haven't gotten to Luke or John yet, because it's, frankly, it's emotionally too harrowing for me. Matthew and Mark, uh, you see him always going off on his own to get away from a crowd, always talking in parables, always like he goes and sits in a boat that's on the shore and it just rocks back and forth. Um, He's able to count up how many people are needed for the fish really quickly. (laughs) Um, He he overturns the money in the in the temple. He does all these things that like, oh, we have IEPs for kids that do that in Hmm. school. Like he's, he's rocking back and forth in a boat. He's stimming. That's what he's doing. He's rocking. He's literally rocking. He goes off. He's telling himself stories. Um, and people come up and they're like, Hey, tell us about this. And he just starts talking about mustard seeds or he starts talking about, you know, the prodigal son and all this kind of, he's not talking to them. He's talking to himself and they're just listening. And then they take it and assign whatever meaning, you know, um, he's, he's tearing down shit in the temples. He's like, you're not paying attention to the rules. There are rules. We have to follow them. 
you know, and their money lending in the temple and he overturns their shit. That's, that's what we call acting out. <laughs> like, and so to me, you know, disabilities are very much culturally specific. And, and when he gets interviewed by the Pharisees, by the way, he doesn't respond. Mm-hmm. Kids on the spectrum, very often you need to give them about double the response time that you would give a neurotypical kid. So it could just be that they're peppering him with questions and he's still on the first question. And really he was just counting how many words you used. Then he'll get to what the meaning is. Then he'll get to an answer. And meanwhile, they're on to the seventh, eighth, and ninth questions. So he's just selectively mute. And so when I read it that way, it was the first time I ever had actual uh, sympathy for the guy. Because prior to that, I was like, oh, he's a cult leader that got caught by the wrong people, you know. But now I'm just like, oh, my God, leave this poor man alone. <laughs> like, wow. You know, and so to me, yeah, a disability is very much uh, culturally specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas being left-handed used to be uh, a sign of demonic possession. Um, being a redhead is, you know, was seen as as not a good thing. In Rome, if you had blonde hair, you were considered dumber. Um, you know, because that meant you were from up north where the Gauls were, those sissy boys that wore pants. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and stuff like that. And, like, there's just, there's very different, you know, different cultural values determine your cultural value based on what you've got going on. So, you know, there's other societies get along just fine with transgender individuals. No problems whatsoever. We right. seem to get stuck on it for some stupid reason. And, you know, so it's, it's and, and not that that's a disability, but it just kind of is a sign that, like, different cultural uh, emphases end up uh, doing that. Which, by the way, makes comedy a very culturally specific thing, too. So, you know, what better way to do that than to do comedy about being a father of a child with autism so that it, number one, normalizes it for folks, but also, number two, you know, lets people know, hey, there's this whole other realm that y'all aren't seeing because you're so focused on being normal. Right. And that, you, you know, you miss out on these really cool things. So, you know, one of my favorite stories is that my son, like, knows that, uh, you know, because he and I have worked so, so well together, on things um he knows that if he just puts his hand on my shoulders he'll automatically stop me from whatever i'm doing and so one day i was yelling at my daughter because she had done something wrong she'd you know for the umpteenth time and she's giving me attitude about it and i'm yelling at a seven-year-old because that's what adults do i was blowing it and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says hey i don't like that you're yelling at my sister like <laughs> that's amazing that is you know it and and I, I was telling this to my students because they asked, they're like, you know, do you ever yell at your kids? I'm like, yeah, but, you know, my son kind of keeps me in track or my daughter will, too, you know, because she sees what he does. And she's like, oh, OK, I'm going to do that, too. Um, and my students, they, they, you know, I told them that story and they're like, I would have gotten beat. I'm like, well, yeah, you guys are normal. <laughs> <laughs> like me and my kids aren't. So, yeah. you know, um, but uh, but again, you know, it's very culturally specific. So I guess the the long answer to your question is, yeah, disabilities are a culturally specific thing. See, that's a much better story to end isn't the it, podcast on. <laughs> that's great. Dude, thank you for reaching out to me and sure. coming out. And thank you for, for this unique style of comedy that oh, you yeah. do. Well, thank you and for coming to my TED Talk. It's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the down. That's why I like puns is because at the end, you at least have a reaction instead of a, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And it's like, I just lectured for 20 minutes. I didn't did. actually give that's comedy. Great. I'm going to put this on the so. Patreon. If, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is going behind the paywall. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, David. Uh, Have a great day, man. Thanks a lot, brother. Thanks. Peace. Bye. Hey, man. That's the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you laughed a little bit. I hope you learned a little bit. I hope you come back. Peace. Take care of one another.